Congratulations, Beer Nerd. You've found your new favorite podcast, The Beer Report. Hey everybody, this is Groucho. It is a cold April night, and I've stepped outside the Fox Pub, and I'm sitting with Neil Witt. Witty. Witty! See, I knew this was going to happen. Neil Witty, uh, he works as a Master Cicerone. Am I saying Cicerone properly? Yes, you are. All right. Master Cicerone for Boulevard, specifically, and then other breweries uh, around the nation. So I'm going to ask Neil a couple questions. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So, uh, first thing is, man, you're in Peoria, and I and I pulled up your name. And I'm like, I got to find out who this guy is about, dude. You travel all over the country and do events like this constantly. Are you? Are you? Is this your daily life? Uh, in a manner of speaking, I do travel a decent amount. Uh, I work with Duval USA's national sales team uh, in all manner of things beer related. I'm kind of the professional beer geek of the sales team, so I work with. Uh, Boulevard Brewing Company beers, Brewery Omegang beers, and all the imported beers from Duval in Belgium. And so there's a lot of work there. There's, uh, you know, we have a lot of people. We've got, um, anymore, we, we've probably got a 75-person sales team oh. uh, that uh, really need to know everything they can about all the beers. And we've got a lot of distributors who are looking for education as well. So I'm all over the place. You are, absolutely. So when Duval acquired Boulevard, they probably, you were probably part of the package. You're like, hey, we're getting Neil. Well, I don't, I don't know how much I don't know how much they were dangling me out there as part of the package, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been at Boulevard since 1997. I, I celebrated 17 years at Boulevard last December, um, and at the beginning of 2014, we became part of the Duval family, which was kind of cool for me because and it was a big deal across the industry. I mean, it, it, there was ripples out there that they bought Boulevard. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at the industry now, and and there's a lot of transactions taking place. There's a lot of breweries that are thinking about, you know, what's the next step here? There are a lot of brewery owners who are looking to, you know, find what the exit plan is. And I think there's a lot of brewery owners that are looking what John McDonald, the founder of Boulevard, did. And saying, wow, I wish I could do something like that. There's a lot of private equity money out there. There was a lot of guys disparaging him as well. Well, sure. Anytime a brewery sells to another brewery, yeah. there's going to be critics. And you're, you know, anymore, especially in the beer scene, you can't even set foot into a place or do anything without somebody criticizing oh, you. Ab- That's part of the package. Yeah, absolutely. So you worked for Boulevard your whole career, basically, until the Duval? Uh, yeah, and I still work with Boulevard. I'm still based at Boulevard. I office at Boulevard, uh, but I'm you know I'm in Peoria in a Omegang <laughs> capacity this time because we're promoting. They had some Boulevard beer. They actually, they had a Boulevard IPA that was outstanding tonight. Yeah, the Calling IPA is yeah. fantastic. It's one of the best new beers we've made in a long time. It's yeah. awesome. So, and I'm thinking about this. You're Kansas City, Missouri. You're Boulevard Brewing, which I think is a great beer or great brewery. We uh, we loved. Single wide and double wide for years. I mean, I think double wide we did a whole show on. We loved it so much. Uh, the Smokestack series are all excellent beers. And that whole time you worked there is in a brewing capacity? or Well, I started as a brewer in 97, and I worked as a brewer for about three and a half years. And John McDonald had a vision at that time of having someone work in the market 
in a quality control capacity outside the brewery, making sure that everything that happens to the beer once it leaves the brewery is is being done correctly. And so I stepped into that role, and and it's evolved into more of a training and education role. So, yeah. but, been, but everybody, every brewery has that guy, but but none of them uh, say that's not true. That's no? not true. No, not everybody does have that guy. A lot of the bigger brewers have have people that focus on field quality, but we were one of the first craft brewers to really have someone solely dedicated in the market to doing that. Really? Yeah, but it's evolved into more of a training and education role, but I still have a major focus in field quality. Okay, well. so, like, and I, I deal with uh, technical specifications, you know, with my technicians, they want to learn and, and do stuff uh, and grow. Was was it brought to you by the brewery to say, hey, you should travel, you should move on with your certifications, you should, you should grow with this? Or is this something you decided yourself, I'm going to pursue this, and the brewery embraced it? Well, I had been doing the field quality thing for a good six or seven years before the Cicerone program was even hatched. Uh, Ray Daniels founded the program in 2007, and the first certified Cicerone exam he held was in April of 2008. Oh, that late. I didn't realize it was that late. Yeah, it was at the San Diego Craft Brewers Conference, and Boulevard was an early supporter. I, I saw that program as something that was was something that the industry needed some type of certification program i saw i saw a, a fit in the industry for what he was doing and so boulevard decided to step up and and kind of uh help support it and be a guinea pig of sorts and i was that guinea pig so i oh. i sat in i right I, place at the right time a bit uh yeah, to a certain extent i suppose um i took the the first offered certified cicerone exam i was one of the first five certified cicerones uh, i passed in september of 2008 or sorry it was in april of 2008 and uh and then they offered the master exam and so it was just just seemed natural for me to do that but at that time i mean the cicerone program nobody really knew what that was only it was really just a few people in the well, industry well even even so i had to look it up I, you know, the sommelier program, like, oh, that's a great deal. Uh, you know, I think of all these different things that people need to do to be beer experts, but the Cicerone, Master Cicerone, I don't think people are that familiar with it. Yeah, it depends on what you do and where you come from. I mean, it's still in the process of gaining a lot of traction in the industry. Uh, certainly, there's a lot more people that know about it now than they did, you know, three, four years ago, uh, or even five, six years ago. But it's still got a long ways to go. You know, I, I talk to people all the time and somebody will say, oh, well, hey, he's a master Cicerone. And they're like, what does that mean? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it means don't let him try your homebrew. That's what it means. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love trying people's homebrew, <laughs> dude. It was so daunting. You know, the, the threat was there. That I'm like, I'm not bringing my homebrew up to you. But uh, and and now in hindsight, maybe I should have. But my hinds- my uh, homebrew is so limited. I, I hated to to share. Maybe that's nah, what it was. Everybody's worried about their homebrew. I, I might see you tomorrow. You can bring it then. All right, all right, all right. Um, now this that brings up a whole thing. You know. There's always that guy everybody knows who's like an expert at this or an expert at that. And, and so you become a little fearful of that guy. Were you always that guy that people are like, oh, I don't want to talk beer you know, with Neil because he's an expert on it? Or is this a casual thing for you or business? Well, I hope no one's intimidated uh, by me. I, You know, one of the things that I really make a big effort to do is to uh, not be that guy. Because yeah. I think uh, one of the things that we see in the industry a lot now is is a lot of people, you know, a lot of people with a little bit of information who use it in 
in ways that they probably shouldn't. Make, I think, make big calls, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of snarkiness and a lot of attitude and, uh, you know, what a lot of people might call like the whineification in the sense that, you know, it, it can be a little standoffish and a little intimidating for yeah. people who, you know, who know more than somebody else and they let you know that they more know more than you. And this is my argument with anything, whether you're an expert, like when we were podcasters, I always say you have to think about when your your listeners could be either on their first drink of beer or on their one millionth. You have to try and 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 accommodate all different tastes, right? Well, absolutely, yeah. I I do beer education all over the place. I do it for groups of people who know a whole lot about beer, and I do it for groups of people who don't know anything about beer. And I do it probably more often than anything. I do it for people who are a mixture of all of those. So I have to present information in a way that is, one, not intimidating and not going to turn everybody off from the first time I open my mouth, you know. <laughs> and it also needs to be accessible. I need to be able to speak to everybody at once put things in a way where if you don't know anything about beer you understand what I'm talking about but if you if you know a lot about beer there's also some good information for you in there as well yeah yeah well that's it's awesome that you recognize that because sometimes you feel like oh this guy he's he's the master Cicero and you're like I'm thinking I'm going to get the beer hunter here who's going to be like, oh, that beer sucks. This beer sucks, you know. And uh, fortunately, you're not that guy. God, I, I strive I strive really hard to not be that guy. I know exactly who that guy is, and I really don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so now, uh, Boulevard gets bought by Duval. Do you find yourself traveling the world, or are you just in the United States? What are you doing? Uh, well, I did, tra- I did travel to Belgium last year to visit the breweries that I'm representing. Uh, so I had a good trip over there last year. I'm working on possibly going back again. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm representing Boulevard in a lot of capacities in new markets. And we did just roll out Boulevard in Western Europe. We also rolled. Wow, out- really? Boulevard is across the pond. Then it's awesome. Yeah, we we've uh, stepped up export quite a bit. We've been in Sweden and Norway for about four years. Export is actually a really big thing in the craft beer scene, and uh, we've been doing that quite a bit ourselves. But uh, you know, Duval has uh, a lot of the channels already open for export. They well, sell beer globally. That and- was the advantage. I, I saw that Im- immediately when Boulevard got bought by Duval. They that opened up. It was. It opened up more for Boulevard, obviously, than it did for Duval. Well, sure. They, like I said, they've got a lot of those channels already open. The the importers and distributors in the different countries are already identified mm-hmm. to a large extent. So a lot of it is just meeting the different regulations as far as labeling and working out the logistics of getting the beer there. Cool. And, and you know, we're in the process of a big seller expansion right now at Boulevard, where we're going to significantly increase our ability to make a whole lot of beer. And you know, that's just a natural extension of that. We're going to be able to send our beer more places. Yeah. Are you born and raised in Kansas City? No, I'm originally from the St. Louis area. I, uh, I was uh, born in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Nice. I uh, went to grade school in St. Genevieve, Missouri. High school in St. Louis. College at MU. <laughs> Worked my way across so the this state. Guy, this guy's a Missouri boy all the way. I am a Missouri boy top to bottom, yeah. yes. That's I awesome. Am. Arthur Bryant's Barbecue? Uh, that's funny. I just ate at Arthur Bryant's God, I love two it. days ago. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> The best barbecue of my life. Uh, yeah, that's that's right up there at the top of my list. It's fantastic. Excellent. Hey, I'm going to throw a curveball. We didn't talk about this before, but we I, I saw you talking a little bit with some of the guys in there about styles and stuff. Um, myself and my co-host, Chud, have started to, started to get away from 
universal beer styles, especially when we're brewing our own beers. But we think that Americans are kind of on to something as far as do we need to follow the style guide on every beer we make? At what point does a style guide start to get away, kind of like the way music has gotten away from best rock category, best hip-hop? When does everything start to meld and it becomes best beer or best styles of beer? Are you seeing that? Well, my attitude about beer styles is if you're a beer, uh, if you're a home brewer, for example, mm-hmm. just make good beer. If you want to try and emulate a certain brand or a certain style that's out there, go for it. Just make what you like. Beer styles largely are irrelevant if you're starting, if you're, you know, trying to conform what you're drinking or what you're making. Just make or drink what you like. Now, beer styles, I think, are relevant when you're talking about competition, because if you have, uh, you know, a a giant competition with hundreds, if not thousands of entries... Then you have to follow style, obviously. You have to have a way to categorize that. And I think style... Styles are also useful in the sense that it's a common language whereby we can all talk about what beer is. Mm -hmm. So if I just said this is a beer and I never told you what style it was, it could be anything. I mean, you you and I think all your listeners know how much variety there is in beer. Mm -hmm. And so we have to kind of narrow it down a little bit. So if you go into a bar or a restaurant... Uh, they can say, all right, well, this is like an IPA, or it's a pale ale, or it's a Saison, or whatever. And then you have a general idea of what so that those is. Are, those are the gates. I mean, those are the gates you, you enter the beer in and, and say this this style, and you hold on to that. Uh, I guess that's, a, that's not a good way to say it, but I think I know where you're coming from. It, sure. You know, the... I think it's good to a point. It, that gets you in the door. It, it gets you to the bar and being able to decide what you want to drink. Yeah. Now, if you're sitting down at the bar and your buddy looks at you and says, oh, they said this is a Saison and this is way <laughs> too sweet to be a Saison, send it back. Well, then your buddy's being a jerk. It doesn't yeah. matter if it really conforms to that or not. Yeah. If it's in the ballpark, then who cares? Now, if you're sitting at a judging table and it's in, and that beer is entered in a Saison category and it doesn't fit that style guide. <laughs> Line, then by all means kick it off the table that's sure. fine and that's 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 what all those details are for so when you read like the beer judge certification program guidelines and they've got a thousand words describing the aroma and the flavor yeah. and all the characteristics of the beer that only matters when you're sitting at a judging table yeah. but what a saison or a pale ale generally is i think the general sense of that is what matters when you're at a bar. So it's useful in certain degrees depending on the context. Yeah. Awesome. Last question. I asked you this earlier. You know, there's insurance for, you know, Julie Roberts' legs. Your tongue and your nose, you got insurance on those things? Lloyd's of London, maybe. <laughs> Seriously, you got to have some insurance on that. I mean, what what happens if you get like allergies one day and you and you got to taste something? What happens to you? No, you know, I tell I tell this to people a lot. Uh, with, when it comes to tasting, I've had the benefit of a whole lot of practice of tasting beer in a controlled setting, lots of off flavored tastings, doctored beer tastings over literally, you know, 17 years or more of working in the in the beer business. And that's a luxury a lot of people don't have. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to tasting things, it's not, you know, the 
the ability that I've developed just from practice over many years is really just being able to match words to what I sense. What I'm sensing isn't any better than what you're sensing or what anybody else is but sensing. You can put it to paper. Everybody can sense those things, but when you're talking about aroma and when you're talking about flavor, what you're doing is you're picking out things that you already know and applying that term to it. So it smells like this. It smells like roses or it smells like paper or it tastes like butter or whatever. So you're you're already drawing from words that you already have and a vocabulary you already have. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of, of honing in that vocabulary to the different aromas and flavors that are commonly or sometimes uncommonly found in beer. Like I can sit down and taste coffee with a coffee expert and I get all kinds of stuff, but I don't know what to call it because it's a different vocabulary. Got it. So I'm not as good at that. Yeah. It's I'm I can taste all kinds of things and and I have a lot of the vocabulary to be able to assign to some of those flavors and aromas I get, mm-hmm. but not anywhere near the guy that's been tasting coffee all the time because he's got lots of practice in assigning the vocabulary sure. to those terms that I don't have. <laughs> so it, that's a lot of it is a learned behavior and it just comes from practice. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that was going to be the last question, but then. Uh, I had a last question. I'll edit this part out. (laughs) (laughs) Not for this one, Steve. Steve King, the godfather of uh, Central Night Beer, just interrupted my show, the bastard. Anyway, (laughs) Neil (laughs) Witte. You're learning fast. I like it. I like it. All right. So anyway, for a cold April night in central Illinois, I'm sitting with Neil. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Totally great to meet you. I look forward to maybe uh, running to you again here. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the time talking to you. Not a problem, man. Thank you so much. (laughs) For the Beer Report, this is Groucho. See you later. Terrorist God bomb. The president got hit. Security was tied. Yeah, the Secret Service got lit. The FBI, CIA, DWI, USA. Everybody's drunk. And everybody's wasted. Gonna change it Cause everybody's drunk And everybody's wasted And everybody's drinking on the job Tweet of hell
Want more Beer Report? Go to thebeerreport.com for our blog and links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media nonsense. Tweet of hell. The Chud Does Tweet.